Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. I'm your host, Stefan Christophe in Montreal, Giojiage. This is the 155th edition of the show. Thank you so much for being with us. On the program today, I'm going to be featuring a conversation that I had with Cheryl Nestle, who is a member of Independent Jewish Voices, which is a pan-Canadian organization that lifts up the voices of Jewish human rights activists that are voicing protest, concern, opposition for the policies of the Israeli government vis-a-vis the occupation of Palestine and the human rights abuses against the Palestinian people. Independent Jewish Voices also has focused on the ways that critical voices towards uh, the Israeli state actions against the Palestinians have been targeted and criminalized in Canada. This last fall, Independent Jewish Voices released a report called Unveiling the Chile Climate, the Suppression of Speech on Palestine in Canada. And Cheryl is one of the co-authors of this report. I think it's very important because it shows the ways that there's really a crackdown or a limiting on the capacity for people to talk about Palestinian human rights within university campuses across Canada. And the report is described this way. IJV, that is Independent Jewish Voices, has spent the last year gathering research about the repression faced by academics, students, and Palestine solidarity activists, collecting approximately 80 testimonials describing the resulting chilling effect in Canada. This report is the first of its kind anywhere in the world, utilizing ethnographic methodology and quantitative analysis to describe both the overarching effects of this repression, as well as the deeply personal impact it has had on activists, artists, students, and professors. While focused on Canada, it also holds international ramifications, as many of the processes we describe are present in other countries, end quote. That is part of the description of this a report co-authored by Cheryl Nestel, who I spoke with for Free City Radio. And I wanted to share this conversation with you. Here is uh, my exchange with Cheryl Nestel of Independent Jewish Voices. To start, um, can you just introduce yourself and share a little bit about uh, your work with Independent Jewish Voices? I'm Cheryl Nestel. I am a retired sociologist. I taught at the Ontario Institute for Studies and Education uh, in what used to be the Sociology and Equity Studies program. And most of my uh, teaching was around uh, race and racism. Um, But my research has been in um, the area of racism, race and racism in the healthcare um, sector. Um, Yeah, but, but I've really pivoted since I retired to writing about Israel and Palestine. Uh, and being a full-time activist um, for Independent Jewish Voices, which is a group that was started in 2008 um, and has grown exponentially in the last 15 years and um, has become quite uh, active and influential. We have four full-time workers um, and uh, chapters in 17 cities in Canada and, and, and campuses. Um, yeah, and really, I mean, and also, I mean, I'm also somebody who lived in Israel for 15 years. So I come to this, you know, with a real stake in, you know, in a sense of responsibility um, in this battle. Um, Yeah, so that's pretty much it 
for me. And uh, yeah, the full-time activism has been great. I stepped down from the steering committee after 11 years last year and have pivoted to doing some writing and, you know, doing writing that hopefully makes a difference, um, writing research. Thank you so much for sharing that. When we think about um, your work within the health healthcare sector and systemic racism, I've been seeing a lot of intersections around people starting to understand the reality in occupied Palestine as a reality that is expressed uh, in a systemic way that has a colonialist racist orientation on the part of the Israeli state uh, operations within the occupied territories. Um, Obviously, there are intersections with thinking about colonialism and racism on an international level and how it manifests within communities across the world, whether it's in Toronto or Montreal and thinking about communities that were forced to migrate uh, due to histories of colonialism. And I really appreciate always thinking about what's happening in Palestine from an intersectional point of view that understands uh, the situation in Palestine is not this isolated, unique situation that is disconnected from the world, but that is tied to the world. So just framing that and Uh, thinking about your intervention with this report and trying to talk about the ways that uh, a more nuanced, meaningful conversation about what's happening in Palestine has really been um, criminalized by uh, a lot of mainstream uh, political parties and actors within Canada. So if you could talk a bit about why this report was important for you, given your uh, work and your your uh, organizing on a variety of issues over many years. Sure. So, um, and I, I appreciate your perspective on this for sure. And certainly, there are intersections here um, with you know oppressive regimes and acts of suppression that are happening all over. Um, you know, one of the things that, and I'll just preface before I get into that, is that um, one of the things that we've been able to do is pull together international groups. Um, we have an interna- the International Jewish Collective for Justice in Palestine, which has 17 groups in 14 countries. So we're, you know, we're, we're kind of regrouping sort of in a mirror image of what the other side is doing by saying, you know, we, we can collaborate just as well. We can know what's going on. We can share our strategies and our challenges. Um, and that's been extremely helpful um, in the work that we do. I mean, IGV is focused in Canada, but, you know, I'm involved in many other, interna- some international things that have been really, really fruitful. Um, so having said that, um, we know that what's happening in several countries around the world very specifically in Germany and the UK, um, that the suppression of speech on Palestine has been, as you said, in Germany criminalized um, to the point where people have been arrested and jailed, etc. Um, and, you know, people have been denied entry and, and excluded from conferences and many, many other... Uh, Germany might be the worst case scenario for the suppression of speech on Palestine. But the UK has also been really, really terrible. Um, one of the reasons is that the, uh, it has to do with the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance 
uh, working definition of anti-Semitism, which if your listeners haven't uh, encountered that, it is a document that the Israeli government and the institutional Jewish community has been pushing now since 2016, which, you know, I won't get into great detail, but basically what it does is say that um, critical speech on Palestine uh, on Israel is um, anti-Semitism. So the equation of anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism, um, and which gives all kinds of institution, the, the institutions the excuse to suppress speech on Palestine. So because we're activists on the ground and we know, you know, kind of we know from word of mouth and from the public instances of suppression, which of which there have been many in Canada, and we document them in the report, that there's a lot of suppression going on. And not all of it is visible to the public or to, you know, players in this game. Um, So we decided that it would probably be fruitful to interview people who are known activists um, to find out what their their experiences have been. And we wound up focusing um, almost entirely on academia, which, of course both in the UK and in Germany, have been the focus of suppression. Um, and the United States, I didn't, you know, I left the United States House, but it's one of the worst offenders around the suppression. And I think there are now 30, for example, anti-BDS um, laws that have been passed in the US. So, you know, the, the suppression in the US has gone the legal route, whereas here we haven't quite seen that yet. Um, Anyway, it's, you know, and if I get into the the issue of the IHRA, um, you know, that one of the things, it's been ramped up here in Canada and in many other places um, as a response, I think, to the repression and to the situ- the worsening situation in Palestine. So, you know, there's a, there's a whiff of desperation around uh, how vigorously this definition is being pushed. We just saw it adopted in Saskatchewan. It's, I think there are five provinces now that have adopted it. We've been waging battles at, on at school boards over the adoption of this. So we knew that the, you know, the impetus to suppress has been very strong. So we um, set out to do this research. Um, we interviewed 77 people um, the, we have 40 uh, academic professors uh, and I think 20-something students and then a handful of activists. Um, and certainly the, the data that we got in terms of the campuses is so disturbing and worrying. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'll just give you a sense of, of what we found in these interviews. I mean, we, we um, were very careful to construct this research on the academic model, um, you know, going like overboard in referencing, and I think there are something like two hundred and twenty references in the in the uh, in the report, um, and you know, using even though it wasn't an ac- based in an academic institution, we abided by all the the you know, the rules that one abides by when one does this kind of research. So the things that we found, um, you know, all of which are quite disturbing, is evidence of political inter- interference in hiring, um, both from outside and internal uh, actors. 
Um, restrictions on a- academic freedom, for sure. Uh, self-censorship, which is one of the, the most disturbing um, elements of our report, is how much people felt the need not to talk about Palestine for fear of retribution. Um, fear about the potential impact of this Holocaust uh, definition. Uh, people are actually, even though it may not have been implemented, and in fact, the Canadian Association of University Teachers uh, had a unanimous vote uh, against the adoption on, on campuses. Um, so it's never been implemented on campuses, but the fear of it being implemented, or the fear from its very existence has caused people to, to self-center. Um, harassment by pro-Israel advocacy groups, and we document that quite extensively. Um, attacks from academic colleagues uh, on, you know, others, uh, on pro-Israel, uh, pro-Palestine uh, colleagues. Um, the role that ethnic and racial identity is played in this, uh, in this uh, struggle uh, and the experience of harassment. In other words, we, what we know here in Canada is also played out in many other places is that the, the people most likely to be targeted and harassed are racialized people. Um, and that's true internationally across the board. Um, the emotional impact of self-censorship on individuals, on students and faculty is, uh, and harassment on the suppression of speech is significant. Um, political interference by university administrations, which we've seen evidence of, you know, over and over again. Um, surveillance, which I find one of the most disturbing parts of the uh, professors being surveilled in the classroom by pro-Israel students uh, and then reported um, to authorities in, within the university. Um, sexist and homophobic slurs, these seem to be part and parcel of, of how, you know, the other side attacks. Um, extensive anti-Palestinian uh, and anti-Arab racism and Islamophobia as part of these attacks. Uh, and threats of violence, including sexual violence. So, you know, this is all very, very disturbing, and it stands in disturbing um, contrast to some of the claims that are being made within the institutional Jewish community about how Jewish students are under threat. So if you compare, you know, I, I follow this quite closely, so if you can, if you compare the evidence of Jewish students being under threat to what we've collected in this report, there's nothing to compare. There's nothing to compare. This is extensive. This is systemic. Um, yeah, and, and you know, I think that you can't either really compare, not that there are no anti-Semitic incidents on campuses. There are, and they need to be, you know, condemned and stopped. Um, but the fact that there is a whole institutional, you know, machine behind the suppression of speech um, is really concerning, with a lot of resources behind it. So, I just want to underline the definition that you're talking about one more time for people who aren't familiar. This is an attempt that's happening globally to link anti-Semitism and criticism of the state of Israel. Um, so this is, uh, as you mentioned, um, thanks so much for outlining that, Cheryl, happening globally, but also in many communities across Canada, uh, this this linking of the Jewish identity broadly or identities with the state of Israel. Um, so just for, for people to um, recall that, it's, uh, I believe, if, if you could just re- repeat the name, it's 
IHRA, the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, Working Definition of Anti-Semitism. We actually, IJV has a, as an extensive um, collection of documents on our website. If you go to www.noihra.ca, um, you'll find everything you could possibly want to know about the IHRA. Um, but it is really being used um, as a tool to suppress speech on Palestine. And there is a, a very pitched battle going on. I mean, you know, there are many claims that are made by those who are trying to push it, including that it's a consensus document in the Jewish community, which is completely not true. Um, you know, 350 of the world's most illustrious Holocaust Jewish education, Jewish studies uh, scholars have uh, have condemned the IHRA. Um, yeah, so it, it's there is a real uh, controversy around it. And now I just came off a meeting where uh, apparently it's being brought to the United Nations in January uh, for adoption, and we're just organizing against that. Well, just two points I wanted to make sure to address um, within the show um, are just a bit of context about why all this organizing work is happening right now. Uh, you talked uh, about how the situation in Palestine has really become super intense uh, in terms of raids on Palestinian communities by the Israeli uh, military, the Israeli state military in the West Bank, uh, the situation of Palestinian political prisoners held without trial, the siege of Gaza. Um, just for people who are listening who might not be following, if you could maybe highlight two realities in occupied Palestine that are important for people to know about, to just contextualize a little bit um, the work that you're doing. Sure. So I think, uh, number one, the number of killings, mostly of young men in Palestine, has you know, grown exponentially in the last few months. Um, and suppression and, you know, arrests without charge, uh, imprisonment. Um, so that's really, uh, every day there's a new, there's a new killing. Uh, yeah, with Israeli um, army raids on towns. And of course, the resistance in Palestine has grown in ways that haven't been seen since the Second Intifada. Um, and I think the Israelis are fearful of um, these, you know, new organized um, resistance groups. Um, so they are being more, you know, um, you know, more aggressive in terms of of of, uh, of pushing back, frightening, scaring, suppressing, etc. So that's one piece that's been really. Uh, I mean, this is all been happening since the uh, May um, 2021 uh, Gaza war. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is the new government in Israel, which is, you know, fascistic in its uh, composition. Um, and, uh, you know, the control of occupied Palestinian territories is being handed over to the most right-wing, the most militaristic, um, the most racist um, forces in the country. Um, you know, we, we, we bat around whether this is good or bad because, you know, it's bad, obviously, for Palestinians. It may be good for public opinion around Israel and getting people to understand that this was always the intention. 
um, and that it's been given free reign at this point with the new Netanyahu government. So um, people need to, I mean, what seems to be happening is that you know, some forces on, the, on what's left of the left in Israel are starting to organize. I just saw on my screen that there's a, there's a big um, demonstration of LGBTQ uh, people going on right now um, against the threat um, that was laid out that doctors would be allowed not to treat queer people um, if their religion, you know, dictated that they shouldn't. So, and that's just one of many, many, um, you know, discriminatory policies that are going to be put in place. We'll see. I mean, sometimes they threaten the most, you know, reactionary stuff and then fail to implement it for various reasons. But nonetheless, you know, the, it looks like the worst is, is really coming. So those two things together do not bode well at all um, for Palestinians um, and for the Israeli public in general as well. Um, yeah, so the, I would say those are the two main things that we need to understand at this moment. Thank you so much for outlining that. So the last question I would just ask is related to the methodology and the process of your report. Um, having highlighted and, you know, addressed the Palestine Solidarity Movement a lot on this program, um, there is clearly a need for the type of methodological research that you're doing. Um, and um, I just wanted to talk to you a bit about uh, the process of why uh, it was prioritized. I mean, often when you're talking about, let's say, you know, Israeli military raids on a West Bank town or city in Palestine, there's a sense of urgency and action that, you know, has driven a lot of people to organized solidarity protests and that's obviously very important but doing the work that you're doing it takes time and it's not a quick response um, and I just find it really interesting to see that the Palestine solidarity movement is starting to be able to have different um, processes of action right there's there's solidarity responses there's protests but there's also this more uh, long-term organizing work that you're, you're doing, which is obviously very important, but I just found that interesting. Yeah, that's, thank you for bringing that up. I think that's a really good and astute, you know, observation. Um, and I personally am for this kind of long, you know, and it is, it's, it took us 18 months to do this. This is not, you know, this is slow work. Um, and, but I think that there are many reasons that this needs to be done. I mean, I think that the the suppression of the Palestinian narrative in general, the suppression of knowledge production around Palestine, um, these things disturb me greatly because I think that, you know, you can't get people to change their minds unless they are given the opportunity to access the truth. Um, and when you have that happening in a systemic level, um, you're going to be turning out a population that has a very you know, low knowledge of this stuff. I mean, it, it's, I think what's important here is that is the not the notion of compulsory Zionism, that in our, in, you know, in Western societies in general, and you know, this is a long discussion, right? So part of it has to do with the Holocaust and, and guilt around the Holocaust um, and what's owed to Jews because of the Holocaust. So, um, but 
you know, for some people, the you know the 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 cure for that is 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 a, a Jewish state, an exclusive Jewish state. Um, you know, some of us disagree with that, um, but you know that that is the civilized position, right? Like, you know, the civilized world recognizes, you know, that Israel is the, you know, the the cure for anti-Semitism. Um, so, so the complex arguments that we bring forward against nationalism, against, um, you know, exclusivity and, and, and that um, are ones that don't often get heard because they're seen as anti-Semitic or anti-Jewish. Um, so I, I think that in terms of academia and the production of knowledge, this is very uh, destructive and, and antithetical to the you know, mission of the university, to say the least. Um, and the fact that you have these outside interventions is even more disturbing. But you know, to get back to your original point about intersectionality and things that come together, I mean, we understand that the you know the the way universities are being restructured and the funding that's how you know the the lack of funding for certain kinds of programs, et cetera, feeds into allowing external players to influence. So, you know, these things come, they're not separate things, they come together. Um, you know, one of the things that we found uh, is, is precarity. Employment precarity is a really big problem. Um, so people who are precariously unemployed as contract faculty, for example, are much more reticent to teach about Palestine, or people who are on the job market, or people who are waiting to get tenure are much more reticent to be critical in the classroom because they fear for their jobs or for their their futures. So, you know, the fact that 60%, for example, of, of faculty at the University of Toronto are contract faculty, um, so you have this, this structural problem that makes the ideological issue much more um, problematic. Um, so, yeah, so there are many, many, you know, intersecting kind of things going on here, and that's one of them. That was an interview with Cheryl Nestel, who is an activist with Independent Jewish Voices Canada. You can find them online at ijvcanada.org. Cheryl is one of the co-authors of Unveiling the Chile Climate, the Suppression of Speech on Palestine in Canada. This is an important report that looks at the ways that there is a silencing of uh, voices that are critically addressing the reality of life in occupied Palestine today. This has been another edition of Free City Radio. We share a new edition every week and broadcast on CKUT 90.3 FM on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. on CGLO 1690 a.m. also in GeoGeage, Montreal on Tuesdays at 1 p.m on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg at 8 a.m. on Tuesdays, on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at 11.30 a.m. on Wednesdays, and on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, British Columbia on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find us through Spotify and Apple Podcasts also. Just look up Free City Radio. Our archives are at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. And to finish the episode today, I will go to a piece called A Free Palestine Dream by Anarchist Mountains Trio. I'll speak with you next week and take care. <laughs>